Well, those of you who were at the Bulldog game Friday night not only know that they won again and are still undefeated, which is pretty exciting, right? Undefeated Bulldogs right now. But if you were there Friday night, I think you'd all remember that there was a full moon and that at halftime, some kind uh, people set up telescopes out at the track and we were able to take a closer look at that bright moon there at halftime. And so our family, of course, there for the game and also able to enjoy uh, that and to see the moon up close. I just want to remind us all that we have a Bible that is a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. You realize that what we do on Sundays is to zoom in just a little bit more to see the craters and the details more specifically together. And and I hope that we're engaging with and reading the Bible throughout the week, but I know that we will together, when we gather at First Baptist Church of Gallatin, dig into the Word of God as God calls us to do. So let's do that together. And before we do, let's pray before our great God for help in this time. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that you've given us true revelation from your word that's helpful, clarifying, encouraging, and it's really the only way that we have direction in this fallen world. It's the only thing that points us to the way that you would have us go. Lord, we're thankful for these things, and we ask that you'd help us today to benefit from your word. We know that without the Spirit, messages, the Bible will fall on deaf ears, but with the working of the Spirit in the hearts of the people here in this room, Lord, that we can profit much, that we can grow much and be encouraged greatly by your word. And so we do pray and ask that you would provide for us in those ways. Bless us with your word. Show us what you want us to see today from Scripture. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over a year ago, we completed our series in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 to 7, in a series titled Kingdom Come. Excited for us now to get back in to the Gospel of Matthew together in a new series titled Kingdom Power that's going to be going through chapters 8 through 17. And the reason we're splitting it up a little bit like this is so that we might have a little bit of a variety in other uh, areas of Scripture and topics and themes, and so we're not in one uh, a book for multiple years. Not that that would be bad, but of course... Um, This is just something that we've decided um, to do. So here we are back in the book of Matthew. What a blessing. And we've seen some variety since we've been in Matthew, haven't we? We we were able to go through an important series on intentional discipleship, looking at men's, women's, and children's discipleship. We're able to look at Christian friendships and how that impacts our lives and gospel-motivated partnerships as well. And then we, we went through the whole book of Galatians in 20, 
sermons, and then we saw uh, in a series on the sanctity of life how God has, has blessed every single image bearer created in his image from the womb all the way until death. And then we even looked at, most recently, a series on the downcast experience that people face in a fallen world. But here we are, back in the book of Matthew. So really quick, to catch us back up to what we saw together in chapters 1 to 7, before we start chapter 8, I want to point us back to the fact that it really is all summed up, isn't it, in the title of that series, that the kingdom has come with the advent of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was born in Bethlehem, what, according to prophecy, to fulfill it, born to bring witness to the kingdom that is not of this world, though it is making its inroads and impact on the lives of many in this world, to be sure, isn't it? Evidence right here in this room in lives of believers. Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. Praise God for the salvation we have through Jesus. This child king... Jesus, if you remember, was protected by the wicked king, Herod. Also, all of this was according to what? Prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. And we could just marvel at all the events that were revealed in the protection and the detailed providences of, the, of Jesus Christ and his birth, the meticulous divine sovereignty caring and leading and working in an amazing Way So many of them to even relate again. But of course, we also saw that Jesus was baptized then by John to identify with us, with sinners. Jesus was not a sinner himself, was he? No, he was sinless. But he came to be baptized in that river by John to identify with us. What a blessing that is. Then he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness And what did Jesus do? He came out victorious. He did not fail. Because Jesus is our savior and champion who withheld and stood strong under the onslaught of the enemy. He didn't fail like Adam and Eve, but he was victorious. He did not fall. What a champion. What a savior that he is. Jesus began his earthly ministry healing and calling the disciples to follow him. And he preached with the authority like no one else as we saw in the king's sermon, or better known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that brings us up here quickly to chapter 8 of our new series, Kingdom Power. We saw kingdom come, but now we're going to see the demonstration of the great power of the kingdom unfolding. During the next several sermons here, we're going to see the wonderful Savior in King Jesus and his healing of many in various circumstances and trials, demonstrating that he has the power over all things. There's nothing, I want to remind us all of this, that does not submit to the will and plan and purposes of the King Jesus and Savior. They may not externally submit, but he has full sovereignty overall, and nothing's going to thwart Jesus' plan because he's king overall, even for those who don't really know it. 
he's king. Everything's under subjection to him. It could sometimes not seem like that, but it's true. And today we're going to be seeing these healings of this great kingdom power. This morning we're going to see the healing of the unclean and of the outsider, of a believer, and of the oppressed, even in these very few short verses. And just so you don't get confused, kind of up front, if you read other passages and accounts in the other Gospels, I want you to realize that Matthew orders these examples not necessarily in a chronological order, but according to a topical theme of what he's bringing out in the life of Jesus. So just to clarify, as you might read some of these accounts in the other Gospels. But this brings us now to the first healing that we're going to look at, and that is the healing of the unclean. Look with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4. This is God's word, and it says this. When he came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. I want to point out right here up front that these healings of Jesus are not some manufactured magic tricks or con games like you might see some televangelists whip up for you. Jesus doesn't end his sermon here with a, a call and a, a prayer to the listener saying, there's someone out there in this crowd with lower back pain. You know who you are? Be healed. And lo and behold, they come forth. My pain is gone. My pain is gone. You don't see Jesus, for instance, healing leg length or or a headache. Not at all. Jesus' miracles were legit. And you see, they were to prove the point, and to make the fact known to all that he really was the Messiah. It attested to his ministry. It pointed to him. He's the real deal. These other fakers are not the real deal, but Jesus is the real deal. He's really the Messiah. And this first example here is someone who came to him. We just saw in in multiple sermons the last time in our series, in three chapters, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and people could hear his powerful, authoritative preaching, but then you see somebody coming to the most skilled and famous preacher that there is, someone coming to him who had no business coming near anyone here in this first miracle that we looked at. A man who was so bad off and so disease-ridden with visible sores and just grossness. That might not be the most creative use of the word, but that's just what leprosy was. It's just gross. As the commentator William Hendrickson explained it, it's called leprosy, he says, because it makes the skin scaly. 
the Greek word lepos or lepis meaning scale. And the sickness, as the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see that the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger even, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper omits a very unpleasant odor. So needless to say, this person who came to Jesus was really bad off, wasn't he? And leprosy could not be just tricked away, could it? A real miracle was needed. According to the Old Testament Levitical cleanliness laws, you would become ceremonially unclean if you were near a leprous person. And a person with leprosy was required to actually identify themselves if they were near anyone, saying loudly, even yelling, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine being in that situation? This was a very isolating, painful, sad situation for this man to be in. Oh, that's, that's so difficult. But instead of notifying anyone of his uncleanness so that they all would have scattered, right? Like imagine in the peak days of COVID and somebody kind of walks into the room. I am just had a positive COVID test and, da, 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 and nobody else is listening. They're all inching away from that person. But instead of him letting everybody know, communicating that he was unclean, he came straight to Jesus and bowed down humbly and desperately, knowing that Jesus was the one who could save him. And by the way, a note on fake faith healers. You see, if they actually healed people, don't you think more people with real sicknesses and diseases and abnormalities would be going to them like they were going to Jesus? The world would get a hint of this reality if it was really happening. People would be, instead of going to the Mayo Clinic, people would jump on a plane and go to one of these so-called pastor preachers, but they don't do that. Why? Because they are frauds, but you see, Jesus wasn't. He was the real deal. People that are trying to make a name for them that way, they're just trying to copy and mimic Jesus so that they can be esteemed and built up and put forward. It's a wicked thing for someone to do. But you see, this leper came to the right place, didn't he? He came to Jesus, and instead of making Jesus unclean with his touch, because that's what would have happened. A leper comes to you and touches you, is around you, you're unclean. But that didn't happen, did it? He touched Jesus. Jesus should be unclean. But what happens? Jesus made him clean even in that touch. The text here says that Jesus stretched out his hand to touch this dirty, nasty, unclean man. Stretched his hands out. Not a kind of covert T-Rex arm, timid, secret touch like, I hope no one saw that. I don't want to be identified with this leper here. No, not not like that. 
but he stretched his hand out to this man to heal this unclean man. Hallelujah. What a savior. And then, notice, he instructs the guy not to make a big old deal about it, but to discreetly make his now cleanliness, cleanliness known according to the mandates of the law so that he himself can get back into society instead of being alienated because of his former leprosy. He was isolated. He was outside the camp. He wasn't allowed to be around anybody because of this condition. Jesus was concerned to get him back and restored and amongst the people again. Oh. Jesus heals him and then shows him how to go forward without any hindrances that he's been experiencing, without the loneliness, isolation. Jesus just thinks of it all, doesn't he? He cares for all these things. It's on his radar. What a compassionate, loving, and oh-so-powerful Savior. No gimmicks, but a real healer. A Savior healer, as the title of our sermon goes. Now, you might not have leprosy. Actually, I know, just by looking out at everybody, that you don't have leprosy. But you may have felt isolated before. And I know that all of us here in this room have sin, and apart from Jesus, we're all unclean and guilty because of it. We've experienced that, Prior to coming to faith in Jesus, many, many of you may be currently under that guilt and weight of your own sin this day if you don't have faith in Jesus. Do you all realize that Jesus is the only one who could make the unclean clean? He demonstrated it here in this first miracle we're looking at, but he also demonstrated it in the lives of every believer here in this room. If you're a believer, you should just be so humbled by the fact that you were dirty and wicked and on your way to hell, but Jesus made you clean because he died for all that sin. He really made you clean. Do you feel that? Do you see that contrast in your own life? Does it give you hope when you look at unclean, wicked sinners going off the deep end, even in this world, knowing that, oh, I know a Savior. I know a Savior who can make you clean. Jesus could make us clean. He demonstrated that in all of our life. If you aren't a believer and you're here today with us, see that Jesus can cleanse you. He's the only one who can. Just like he cleansed this leper. He has compassionate eyes for the hurting, sick, dirty, and isolated, and sinful. He's got power to save not only this poor man who knelt humbly before him, but he can save all poor men and women who realize their uncleanliness before God and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. What a savior. This leads us to our next healing and Healing number two of the outsider. Look with me at verses 5 through 13 now in Matthew chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. 
But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. I hope you picked up there, as we read it, the sharp rebuke of the many religious leaders of Jesus' day in his commendation of this Gentile centurion. He says something really nice to the centurion, but on the flip side, there's this kind of backhanded, like, rebuke to other people. It's kind of a both end. You're like, well, that was really nice. Jesus is like, oh, wow, that's a burn, too, on the other side of it to the religious leaders. You saw it there as we read it. This is just some, some rich stuff that Jesus puts forward for us here in this second healing. A centurion is a general of sorts. He could have up to 100 soldiers under his authority. This man was like was likely a Roman citizen, not a Jewish citizen. He was not among the Old Testament privileged people of God. Not not an Israelite, of course, but a Gentile. But this guy's faith, I hope you see, puts all the religious elites' lack of faith to shame. His example of his faith, this centurion, it even prompted Jesus to say, oh, oh, by the way, I mean, we're seeing this great demonstration. It's such an amazing demonstration. But by the way, many of the so-called religious elites who deny Jesus, but who claim their allegiance and heritage back to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see, many of those elites will not be the ones celebrating at the table, Jesus points out. But men and women like this Gentile centurion who have faith, will be at the table. Some religious doubters who did not believe in Jesus, who do not have faith like the leper or the centurion, you see, will not be invited to the feast. They'll be nowhere to be found. It seems harsh, but let's look at it again in verse 11 again. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Many like this centurion, right? Many like the leper. Many like other Gentiles that we see all through the New Testament coming in groves to faith. Many of them will be at that table. And then it goes on and says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So get this. An outsider is praised by Jesus. And he didn't even share the ethnic 
heritage and traditions of all the religious people in Jesus' line. But he had faith in Jesus. And get this, that was enough, wasn't it? That was enough. In fact, it was way more than enough because without faith in Jesus, all the heritage and tradition will only lead to the lake of fire and judgment as John the Baptist warned before as we saw in chapter 3. But this Gentile centurion not only knew that Jesus was the man to go to, good choice coming to Jesus again, notice he even calls him Lord, just as the leper called him Lord. They knew who they were talking to. Not just some ordinary man. Jesus was the real deal, the Messiah himself. They knew it. So many other people ignored it. People who should have known it, denied it. People who had no place knowing it. You see, they're coming to faith in Jesus. What an amazing thing. And just as the humility of the leper was clear, right? It was so clear. He's bowing before him. The humility and great faith of the centurion was clear as well, wasn't it? Not only did he know that Jesus could heal this crippled, paralyzed man who was suffering terribly at his home. At the moment, he knew that Jesus could even do it by proxy. That's great faith, isn't it? He knew he didn't need to travel all the way to his home, but he could do it right there, right then. And in a day and age where many are now working remote on home and online, you know, without having to go into the office as much, you've heard a lot about that. The idea of an outside-the-box approach here might might make sense to us in that kind of distance context with technology and such. But that's not what we have here, is it? Jesus didn't get on a Zoom call right there to, to heal and get on the call and heal from a distance. But no, Jesus right there, right then, from that long distance, without even touching the man or without even being in proximity, took that suffering servant, paralyzed, unable to move, and healed him from afar from the very power of his will. Amazing. Jesus didn't even need to see him or talk to him. He knew exactly who this suffering man was. There may have been other people in the centurion's home that day, right? Or in houses surrounding him or houses all over the world who were sick. But Jesus didn't miss the guy in question. But our sovereign healing Savior pinpointed that exact home and that exact crippled, motionless man and made him well from a distance by the power of his will. I say it again. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I hope that all of us have faith here today that is increased by this Gentile centurion's faith who placed his trust in Jesus all those years ago. Would you just place your full faith in this very competent and very able Savior? He heals suffering people. We're going to see it over and over again. Not only physically as we see, but also spiritually and emotionally as well. Put your trust in the healing Savior. This leads us now to example number three, and that of the healing of a believer. Look with me at verses 14 through 15 for this. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, 
the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, I can't be entirely sure about the extent of Peter's mother-in-law's profession of faith or lack thereof. But the fact that she was related to Peter, of course, one of the disciples, and then the fact that Jesus was going to her house, which I think entails that he knew her already, of course, right? Because you don't just, you go to people's houses that you know, right? Just randomly walk into people's homes. No, he knew her. The fact even that after she's healed, what does she do? She serves him. These things sound a lot like a believer or a follower, somebody who knew Jesus already, right? And that's why I think this might be a great picture, an example of how Jesus helps those who already trust in him and follow him as well. The first two miracles that we looked at were not people directly connected to Jesus, were they? But who sought him out even though they did not have a personal relationship or friendship with him. This healing is of someone Jesus knew. And she likely believed in him and was a disciple of him, for if she disbelieved, and you know that Peter would be telling her all about who Jesus was, right? That's just the kind of guy that Peter was. He wasn't going to keep that a secret from her. And if she didn't believe that he was the Messiah, then why would she so quickly serve him? And if she doubted who Jesus was, who he said he was, if she didn't believe in that kind of thing, what would she do? She would have thought that he was a crazy lunatic or liar, like Kyle pointed out a few weeks ago from that C.S. Lewis quote, right? Get this guy away from me. I don't, I don't know who that is. I don't believe it. No, that's not what she did, though. But she served him right away, which means that she believed in him. She knew him, had a relationship, was connected to him. The other men we saw came to Jesus for healing. This time, Jesus takes the initiative after seeing a need that was immediately, of course, this need could have seemed lesser than the other two. I mean, the other two, one was a social outcast with an incurable skin disease for a long, long time. He's been suffering with that. And then, you know, the other was a severe handicapped person, paralyzed, or maybe a quadriplegic, someone who just couldn't move and get up. Those were very, very severe situations. A fever, in comparison, might seem smaller or objectively less severe. We don't know how severe the fever was. It says a high fever. Sometimes fevers could could even kill, kill us, right? We know that. They could be scary when you have that fever and You bring that baby home from the hospital and there's this high fever. All of us as parents is stressed out big time over a fever. But objectively here, a fever may seem like lesser. But, you know, Jesus knew this woman and he cared for her needs nonetheless. He loved her. He cared for her and he healed her. So we see the unclean. We've seen the outcasts. And now someone who's in the inner circle a believer herself in the Messiah. Jesus heals all kinds of people for all different kinds of things, right? We see that here, demonstrated. And though it might even seem small that he had a friendship and care of this woman, I want to remind us that in ancient times, women were not considered to be on equal footing with men. But you see, Jesus throws all of that false tradition out of the window and goes directly to this woman 
and touches her to bring her healing from her fever. Again, I say, hallelujah, what a healing Savior. And if you're a believer here this morning already connected to Jesus as a disciple, I want you to know this. Jesus heals also his friends, and we can go to him with whatever healing we need because he knows our needs before we even tell him of them, though we want to tell him of them. And he's working, though, blessings upon his people regularly. And I want us to notice all the ways that God is caring for us in amazing ways in the midst of our struggles and sufferings and trials of life. What a blessing it is for each of us believers to be connected to a healing Savior, right? We have the privileges of believers and friends to put us even into the pathway of his regular good in our lives as we see in that famous passage in Romans chapter 8 that what? God works all things together for good for his friends, for believers, those who have been called, those who have been adopted into God's family. He works good for us, believers. Don't you doubt it, see it, remember it, be encouraged by that. This leads us now to our last point. And number four. Jesus' healing of the oppressed. Look with me now at verses 16 through 17 for this. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. A touch, a healing at a distance, another touch, and now comes the masses, and he heals with a word. People were overcome by evil spirits and had major problems because of it, and I think we can all imagine why you would being indwelt by demonic spirits. They were oppressed and miserable. Jesus came and delivered miserable people like that. Think of the demoniac with many evil spirits within him. He was cutting himself. He was, had to be chained up by other people. He was so bad off. Jesus helped people in desperate situations like that. They needed to be rescued, and he rescued them with a word. Then, to top it all off, the people were bringing sick people to him in the masses, and he was healing them by his powerful word. Powerful word, powerful touch, powerful will, powerful healing Savior. Do you see the kingdom power now? Do you see it right there in the scriptures? I mean, we're going to keep on seeing it the next Several weeks, but I want us to catch this powerful healing each and every week as we see in all of what he does, miraculous, amazing things. And just as we saw in Matthew one twenty one that Jesus was born so that he would save his people from their sins, apparently Jesus also saves his people from the consequences of a fallen world and consequences of sin and the effects of the fall, which include all these effects, sin, sickness, death, suffering. Jesus in his earthly ministry was going around saving all kinds of people from all kinds of suffering as well, wasn't he? Oh, the Savior. 
these examples of healing and delivering is all pointed out by Matthew as a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. And let's read that passage together. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We normally go to Isaiah 53 to point out Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross that covers all of our sins, don't we? And as we'll see, that's a great place for us to go also to point Jesus' cross work as well. But here, notice that Matthew shows us that it all points to the healing Savior as well in his earthly ministry. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, the prophecy of Isaiah in the way that he was delivering and healing and doing these mighty, miraculous things. Jesus was uniquely doing what nobody else had done before him. He not only taught with authority, he had authority over all things, didn't he? Over diseases, over sickness, over birth defects, over demonic activity and oppression, over the wind, over the waves, over all creation. Jesus was over all of it. And here... We see that he is known as the healer of the sick, the rescuer of the oppressed. He is the one who takes terrible situations of hurting people and what? Makes them well. Both physically sometimes in this life and then also what? Spiritually. Because I want to ask this question, what happened to all those people who were healed that we've already been looking at and that we're going to be looking at throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. The truth is, as we saw in our sermon last week on the vapor-like nature of life, the truth is that they died shortly after their healing, just like every other mortal human being also dies in this life and world. Because each physical healing, though so compassionate and miraculous, it was not permanent, was it? They would soon one day die. The leper died. The centurion died. Peter's mother-in-law died. All these people who had demons cast out of them died. All the other people that were brought, that were healed physically, died one day, didn't they? The kind of healing Savior that we have who healed physically also heals spiritually as well. We need to remember that. And you know, that healing lasts not only for the rest of our earthly lives, but also for all eternity. That spiritual healing will never end, church. And all of those who've trusted in Jesus and believed the gospel experience eternal life, which is the best healing that there possibly ever is. Trust the one who can not only take away sickness if he so chooses, for remember, each of these healings was met with the reality that it was all according to Jesus' will, not external manipulation through strength, not name it, claim it, not the person wanting healing just grasping his ability to be healed or something. No, but it was the plan of Jesus. Why? They said to him, if you're willing, would you heal me? I know you can, Jesus, but if you're willing, I don't know 
if I'm going to be healed, but I trust that you're the one to go to. And Jesus can heal any physical sickness and disease, but as we know from the Bible, even as we saw in our sermon last week, we don't live forever, and not all diseases and sicknesses will be healed this side of heaven. But for the believer, we can have our sins washed away. We do have our sins washed away. We can have our inner, wicked, sinful sickness covered by Jesus' death on the cross for us. For as we also read in Isaiah 53, in verse 5, Jesus not only heals sickness and physical suffering, but he heals sin and eternal suffering. As Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Upon Jesus, your sin was laid, if you're a believer. Do you know this reality of Jesus not only healing physical sickness, but the healer of spiritual sickness as well. Do you know it directly for you? Do you have confidence in that? I want you to have confidence in that. Look, there is nothing more important for any one of us here today than for us to be sure that we have a substitute Savior who actually cleanses us from our many sins by going to the cross to be punished for us, to be pierced for our transgressions, to be crushed on our behalf for our sins, paid in full, it is finished, Christ has died for all our sins. Do you know that, church? Do you know your many sins be washed away, cleansed by Jesus? Don't leave today without trusting Jesus, our great healing Savior, that through his suffering, Our eternal suffering will never occur for those of us who are in Jesus. So trust the healing Savior today, every last one of us. And let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you have revealed that you have taken care of our biggest problem in this world by sending your Son to heal us from our spiritual sickness and sin. Help all of us to be leaving here today lifted up to the grace that only you provide with the hope and encouragement and blessing that your word gives us. God, would you encourage every last believer here and would you turn any heart that doesn't know you as Savior yet, would you turn them to you, the only solution, the only Savior, the healing Savior. Lord, would you turn them to your Son, Jesus Christ, who covers every last one of our sins and guilt. We say this in Jesus' name.